shall we talk about the Muppets Take Manhattan? I think we should. I think we should take Manhattan. I'll take it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'll take Brooklyn. I'll take the Bronx <laughs> and Staten Island too. All right. Hello, and welcome to Moving Right Along, a Muppet Movie Podcast, brought to you by ToughPigs.com. This is the podcast where we watch The Muppets Take Manhattan two minutes at a time and talk about it a lot. I'm your host, Ryan Rowe. I'm your other host, Anthony Strand. And this week we have a very special return guest. We always love having him on the show. He's been here several times. Guest, please tell us who you are. Hello, I'm Eric Adams, the managing editor of the AV Club, and it's a pleasure to be back. It is always a pleasure to have you here. Thanks for joining us. Very, very welcome. And today we are talking about minutes 41 and 42 of The Muppets Take Manhattan, in which Dr. Teeth's postcard concludes, Jenny and Kermit are friendly, Piggy is angry, and Kermit enters Sardis. So we pick up at the the very end of Dr. Teeth's postcard here that we saw last week, as the band is finishing up their song uh eric i know you weren't here with us last week do you have any thoughts in particular about the postcard from dr teeth in which the band is cooking and wailing at this uh this festival (laughs) i am always a big fan of when the electric mayhem has to play a style of music that is not their usual uh blues based Mm. groovy classic rock so I think this is this is a really good classic example of it. Like I always always think very fondly of the Muppet Show segment where they play tenderly. Yeah. And in that in that one, you know, they don't they they find it very hard to fight against their normal impulses. But uh, in this, as they're playing as the uh, German Oompa Oompa band uh, outside of <laughs> Philadelphia, uh, they seem they seem to be able to keep a lid on it. Even Animal is uh, is managing to stay within the, the confines of the uh, polka that they're playing in that postcard. That's uh, true. Although I, although I do love Animal getting one extra hit in on his bass drum after the song <laughs> is over. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's really funny. Well, yeah, it's actually uh, interesting you mentioned that the, the, their performance is relatively normal. Uh, in the March 7th, 1983 draft of the screenplay, the scene was longer. Uh, last week, I mentioned that Floyd introduced their next song, but then before they actually play in the draft, uh, Bunsen and Beaker show up. And Bunsen has invented a gas-powered symbol to keep the tempo. The script says, Beaker pulls the cord as one might do for starting an outboard motor. The cymbal smashes in perfect polka time. Uh, then the band starts playing, everyone's dancing, and then Animal starts going crazy and drumming heavier and faster, which then uh, inspires Beaker to turn the dial on the cymbal from polka to full speed ahead. So Animal's playing faster, the cymbal's playing faster, the whole band is playing faster, and then all the elderly dancers have to like uh, dance around at an unheard of speed, it says, to keep up. Uh, finally, the symbol breaks loose and chases Beaker around and then explodes, leaving the stage in a cloud of smoke. So it would have been fun to see Bunsen and Beaker. I don't know. I actually don't know if they filmed that and then cut it or if it if it was never filmed. I, I could have sworn that there were images from it in the storybook, the Muppet Take Manhattan storybook. Ah, I don't have that. But Muppet Wiki doesn't say anything about it. Okay. So now I'm one, which like I read that book a ton of times as a kid. So I feel like I wouldn't have that false memory. Right. 
unless it was in there, but maybe I just like read about it existing at some point and have conflated that in my mind with that storybook from reading it as a kid, you know, oh, or yeah, something that like happen. that. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Well, we do see Bunsen and Beaker at the end when, when Pete is calling everyone back to New York, Bunsen and Beaker are there with the band. Oh, right. So, so I bet they, they probably did they film did some version of that. Then. Yeah. Yeah. I was I was very confused when Bunsen and Beaker showed up at the end when I was rewatching right. the movie because it was like, wait, when were they introduced? Were they at college with uh, with the other characters? Right. Why are they there? <laughs> Maybe they were faculty. Right. Oh yeah. Somebody so, said actually, Anthony, that might have been you in a previous episode. Said maybe Bunsen could have been their chemistry professor or something. I did say that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Great minds think alike. Um, <laughs> no, but so I'm, I'm looking on Muppet Wiki now on a page called Muppets Take Manhattan Deleted Scenes. And this page does say the storybook adaptation includes a scene with photos of Bunsen and Beaker meeting the electric mayhem in the poker crazy town of Monagahala, Pennsylvania. <laughs> so, so apparently there are photos in that book, which definitely suggests that they shot it or else why would, why would okay. they have those puppets on yeah, set? It, you know what I mean? Is there anything to indicate whether there was a gas-powered symbol? Yeah, it says, and helping the exhausted band with Muppet Lab's gas-powered drumometer. Oh, okay. It, the book, as well as the comic adaptation, also references Beauregard taking the band back to New York. While none uh, of these were in the finished film, all three characters can be seen at the polka club when Dr. Teeth announces they're going to New York. And the wiki has a picture of Beauregard standing next to Dr. Teeth and Janice. Oh, okay. Yeah, Beauregard's not in the scene in the draft, but maybe they stuck him in there just so he would be there. Yeah, it's kind of too bad. I, I would have liked to have spent a little time with those guys in this movie. Yeah, I think so. And, and this postcard is really short, too. Yeah. I feel like a Muppet Labs incursion doesn't fit with the tone of the rest of the movie. Like, I know in previous episodes, y'all have been talking about how, like, this is kind of the most grounded of the first three. I mean, really, maybe just the most grounded Muppets project of all time. Ever made, yeah. yeah. But, like, I, I can see where that just doesn't really fit. Uh, I think we can, we, we get a little bit of a flash of that type of tone and that type of Muppets humor a little later uh, in the two minutes that we're talking about here. But, like, uh, overall, that's just, that's not Muppets Take Manhattan. That's probably true. It would have been fun yeah. to see them, but an exploding symbol does seem like it might have been a little out of place in this movie. Yeah. This this movie goes to piggy bending steel and that's I think that's like that's the top of the <laughs> that's the top of its range. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's a really good point. <laughs> so, uh that's the end of the postcard. Kermit is happy to hear that his friends are doing well, but he notices that there are no letters yet from Gonzo or Ralph or Piggy. Jenny says she's sure that they've all written uh, Kermit's like, yeah, I'm sure Piggy's gotten a great job. And then the camera moves up. So we see, uh, to this window across the street where there's a pair of binoculars pointed in Kermit's direction and they're being held by a pair of familiar gloves. So this is Piggy still stalking Kermit. Well, and like Jenny, we've, we've talked before on the podcast about how there's real chemistry between Jenny and Kermit. Yeah. And when we cut back to them after the letter, Jenny is like snuggled up next to Kermit. And he's presumably been reading the letter out loud. So she really didn't need to be looking at the letter. You know That's what I mean? Like, like, I totally get where Piggy's coming from. Like, there's a lot of signals that, that Jenny and Kermit are, like, very affectionate with one another, you know? Yeah. How, 
how would you guys describe the uh, color of those gloves? Uh, well, usually they're sort of a lavender. Yeah, I, I, I always say lavender. Yeah. Are these her, her normal colored gloves? I was I was uh, trying to set you up for a pretty and purple uh, callback. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> pretty and purple, purple and pretty. Purple and pretty, yeah, the famous line from Another Thing Manhattan. <laughs> yeah, boy, I sorry, we dropped that ball. Uh, yeah, we can we can cut that. <laughs> no, 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 we should do it again. <laughs> I that camera move is so good. Yeah, it's like, great. Yes. Who can we credit that to Frank Oz? Is that a cinematographer decision? Like it's it's just so it's so smooth, it's so funny. And like, I, it, it really stuck out at me uh, while watching and rewatching this clip for the podcast. Yeah. So it's, so it's either Frank Oz or we should say cinematographer, Robert Painter, once again. Yes. Painter. Yeah. And it's the kind of thing, once again, we've said this many times, but the, I would not really have thought about or lingered on if we weren't watching this two minutes at a time, but yeah, just the right. fact that it doesn't cut, it's just, they're sitting in front of the window and then we go up into the window and we see just yeah. those just the the just the hands and the binoculars peeking out we don't see piggy's Which face is, we don't see any of her the rest of her body just just the hands and the binoculars yeah it's um and actually they're gonna they're gonna continue that coming up in another in a later scene yeah when yes. they're in the park they're gonna pan past kermit and piggy kermit and jenny to piggy again so it's With a similar like, it's, move yes yeah it's clearly an intentional choice um but I was going to say the sound effect is a very strange choice. I think as it pans <laughs> up to Piggy, there's this like boing. It kind of sounds like when you hit a a timpani and then like uh, like move the pedal like. Piggy's probably busy with some kind of terrific job. Yeah. Mm. I guess they're all out there doing terrific. Boy, if I could only sell a show. Yeah, it's it's a weird choice, I think. Yeah, and it like, starts it starts out sounding like John Carpenter's theme to the thing. That sort of like yeah, just bass note. Doom, 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 doom. Yeah, and then and then it ends up sounding like the Gong Show. Like it's, <laughs> it's weird. Yeah, I wonder which which end of that spectrum they were going for. Is it horror or is it wackiness or is it, it both? A little I, of both. That's yeah, I guess it is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, for Kermit, it would be if he knew what was going on there. <laughs> uh, so Kermit says he hopes they can sell the show. He says, and then everyone can come back and we can all do it together like in the old days. And I know he means like in the old days when they were all in college together. But it also kind of kind of comes across like, you know, like in the old days earlier in this movie or in the other two movies or on The Muppet Show. Yeah. When we all got to, to do things together instead of having to split up. Uh, so Jenny says, you'll do it, Kermit. And then they hug. And that's when we hear these horrible crashing <laughs> noises coming from across the street. And this sort of muffled screams of Piggy as she... I mean, I, I guess this is her apartment where she's living now. And now she's just <laughs> destroying it. It's so funny. Yeah. She's just losing her mind. Like, what? She's so mad. What does she have to lose from going to talk to Kermit at this point? And like... Just being yeah. like, hey, Kermit, I'm here in New York. Like, he'd be thrilled to see her. She must know that, you know? I'm I'm glad that we don't see inside the apartment because I think it would ruin some of the illusion. I think some of the funniness of this scene is in just seeing the blinds and Piggy's gloves. 
but I'd also like to see inside that apartment just to see like how how run down it is. Newspapers sure. covering the walls. Right. Yeah. I, uh, I imagine pictures, like, pictures of like, Jenny with her eyes cut X'd out. <laughs> Arts. I was gonna say I imagine it's like uh, the hotel room Tom Hanks gets when he first goes to New York in Big. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, with like the community bathroom and the like. Where he like goes over and puts the little chain lock on the door. <laughs> oh. He would have to do something to try to make it seem fancy, though. Like she would, uh, she would buy like a, a a tiny bit of pink paint or something, however much she could afford, and like paint one corner of the room or something like that. There's Aww. a there's a scarf very artfully hung over like a a table lamp. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> something to yep. try to convince herself that it was a nicer place than it actually is. At this point in time, right. is Kermit still living in a storage locker? Is he still at the uh, the bus terminal? We we, we have discussed. We, we've discussed. I I put forward the theory that he's he has a pad on Sesame Street. <laughs> like they he's in New York, right? Like he's that's where he's going to go. This makes but sense. We, yeah. Well, we we don't know where he's staying after after he leaves the bus. No, it's unclear. They never stay. Yeah, he's well. He does have a job now working at Pete, so he might be able to afford a little bit more than just bus lockers. Maybe the rats recommended a place. Yeah, <laughs> wherever they're living. <laughs> I was just trying to think of a, a like if there's some kind of pun or like uh, if only they were roaches, then I could say a roach motel. But no. Oh well. <laughs> all right. Uh, Kermit says. Uh, so they're, they're hearing these all all these awful noises. Kermit says, "Boy, that's been happening a lot lately over there." To which Rizzo replies, "Eh, it's New York." A callback to the earlier scene. <laughs> it's nice to hear. Right. So then Kermit is uh, telling Rizzo that he's about ready ready for the next part of his plan. So this is now phase two of his three-phase plan. He's going to need Rizzo's help and all the other rats. Uh, Yolanda comes over to listen in on this part. Um, n- the other rats are not there for whatever reason, just Rizzo and Yolanda. Then Kermit asks... Hey, what's that? I, I, I bet the reason is that this way they only needed three puppeteers. Mm, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. Seems likely. Mm. Kermit asks Jenny to draw a picture of him, which, I mean, I guess, sure, she can... She can draw. She's a designer. She can draw costumes. I guess why can't, why wouldn't she be able to draw a picture of a frog? Why can't she draw a picture of Kermit wearing a costume? As we'll see, <laughs> right? And I guess she designs this next costume as well. It's a very yeah. savvy screenwriting move to make her a wannabe fashion designer because it yeah. opens up so many opportunities for all of the disguises. Right, right. Yeah, and a lot of times we, as nitpicky viewers like to be like oh where'd they get that thing from huh where'd that come from huh how'd they get that but and, and i guess in a muppet movie maybe we care a little bit less but it's nice that they bothered to uh, explain it right. so rizzo asks what's the scoop and kermit says have you ever heard of a whispering campaign <laughs> now i don't think i've ever heard the phrase whispering campaign used outside the context of this movie <laughs> But it does have, there's a dictionary definition in Merriam-Webster and a Wikipedia page for the phrase whispering campaign. Uh, according to these sources, it's usually something that's used in politics to spread negative rumors about a candidate. 
Uh, Wikipedia says, Whisper campaigns in the United States began with the conflict between John Adams and Thomas Jefferson as the two were vying for the 1800 presidential election. So I, I just like imagining uh, John Adams going to his, his campaign staff and being like, have you ever heard of a whispering campaign? <laughs> <laughs> They're like, no, you, you just made it up. You just coined that term. <laughs> you just invented it. Exactly. <laughs> So that was the first one. Well, and it's it, I, I was going to say, Eric, I think we, last time you were on the show, we talked about the Whispering Campaign on Glow Season oh, yes. 2, didn't we? Like, <laughs> yeah, we did. And, and, and now you're back for this one. So I, I I just, I know how to pick them, I think. I guess that, so. That's yeah. a nice little bit of uh, full circle there. And I, I, I'm, ashamed, I'm ashamed to admit, I have still not watched Glow since we recorded that <laughs> previous episode. So it's. It's just waiting for you, Ryan. Yeah, it's right there, and yeah. it's over now. So there's, yeah. there's not. You don't have to feel guilty about falling behind. Right, right. Now that that's all there is. All right, I'll get to you. You just have to feel bad about not watching it and giving Netflix reason to cancel it. Yes, so, not watching it in time to save it. If I, yeah. if it turns out that I really like it. Sorry, Glow. <laughs> okay. uh, all right, any R.I.P. Glow. Yeah. Any uh, final thoughts about this brief scene inside Pete's before we move on to the next thing? Yes, I have one thing. Yes. You didn't mention that Rizzo turns to Yolanda and says, hey, I think we could be making some overtime here. Oh, yes, he does. Why does he think that Kermit, who is not his <laughs> boss, is either, either Kermit is going to pay him overtime or Pete is going to approve overtime for them doing like a thing that has nothing to do with work at a different <laughs> restaurant? Yeah, I guess I always think of it as just like we're going to earn some additional money in addition to the money that we get at this job. But no, yeah, that's but a very Kermit, good point. Kermit never says he's going to pay them. And I can't imagine that he does, it's you know, true. Like, maybe as rats overtime means food. Uh, so they're looking forward to the, as they do when they get to Sardis, uh, mm. getting, getting some of those table scraps. Yeah. Yeah. There yeah, you go. That's a valid theory. <laughs> yeah. He, Kermit probably should have made that clear though. My yeah, my other, like, oh, go ahead. No, I'm done. Nothing. All right. I was just gonna say my other note from this scene is I really like the way that Rizzo shrugs when he says it's New York. Like that's just such. There's there's so many like great puppetry moves in this one. Like yeah. I think it's probably just where I would have to guess it's because of the stage that the the both the performers and the workshop were at at this point where they really. They know what they're doing. They know their craft. They've they've got this really well-established bag of tricks. And this one, while not my favorite Muppet movie, I think maybe my favorite on a puppetry level. Mm. That That's makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, they really know what they're doing by this point. Mm -hmm. It's a very technically accomplished film. Yes. In the camera work and in the puppetry. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. This is a good movie. So, you guys like Muppet movies? Yeah, yeah, we, yeah, we like them. <laughs> well, the next thing we see in this Muppet movie is the exterior of Sardi's restaurant. Sardi's is a New York City institution. This is on Forty Fourth Street between Eighth and Ninth Avenues. It's surrounded by Broadway theaters, right, right in the the heart of the theater district. Uh, it opened in 1927. And it has a long association with the theater world. Uh, the Tony nominations are sometimes announced there. 
you hear about like uh, I, I don't know how much this actually happens anymore, but like the cast of a show will go there on opening night after the show. Um, well, and and supposedly the Tonys were invented there, right? Yeah, like, that's the that's, idea for the Tonys was hatched at a meal at Sardi's, supposedly. Right. Um, I didn't <laughs> actually like a, write down the name of the the man who came up with the idea for the Tonys, but basically. Uh, he was at Sardi's and I think it said Antoinette Perry had just died. And he was like, wow, we should really have some awards for theater for Broadway and we should name them after Antoinette Perry and call them the Tony awards. And then like, it looks like it was Brock Pemberton. Thank you. Brock Pemberton. Could could there possibly be a more like upper class New York name than Brock Pemberton. <laughs> it, it sounds like a character that Phil Hartman would play on Saturday Night Live. <laughs> yeah, it does. Or a one-off Flintstones character. Uh, oh, yeah. Just, Bro- it would lop the, the B off and he would be <laughs> Rock Pemberton. Right, right. Rock Pemberton is coming to town and, <laughs> and Fred and Barney want to impress him. Did they ever? Because he's a lodge member. <laughs> Did they ever do a riff on Broadway uh, on the Flintstones? Was it Rockway or like I don't, I don't know what it would be. You know, I don't know. Maybe they go they go see my rock lady. I don't know, man. <laughs> my fair cave lady. My fair cave lady. Yeah, that's what they go see. Yeah. Yeah. If we I were better know. prepared, I'm sure we could come up with so many great uh, Flintstone style Broadway puns. <laughs> uh, Mr. Slate is one of the principal investors in West Side Quarry. Oh. oh! Yeah, that's all we need. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I don't think Sardi's is uh, really known for having exceptionally good food. It's the main thing it's known for, other than the Broadway associations, are the celebrity caricatures that are all over the walls. Uh, Wikipedia tells us that the first in-house caricature artist was a Russian refugee named Alex Gard. Uh, the founder of the restaurant was Vincent Sardi Sr., and he was looking for a way to attract customers to his establishment, so he hired this artist to draw these pictures in exchange for one meal a day, which I guess is not a bad deal? I don't know. At least he didn't just offer to pay him an exposure. <laughs> so uh there's a lot of other information out there on wikipedia and various other places about uh the like the other in-house artists that sardis has had over the years the other owners some of it is moderately interesting if you want to seek that out i don't think we need to go into it anymore now but uh, as of 2010 there were more than 1300 celebrity caricatures at sardis so that's a lot wow. of celebrities yeah and yeah. a lot of caricatures Ryan, have you ever eaten at Sardi's? Yes, actually, Anthony and I went to Sardi's together when Anthony was visiting New York City. It was, uh, I think we decided August of 2013. Yeah. And um, one well, thing I remember noticing is that the dining room seemed smaller than it looks in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably right. I don't know. I don't remember. I mean, for, yeah, I mean, it was seven and a half years ago, Yeah, for one thing. I, I guess but I don't that's remember. just like a, a movie thing. They were probably using you know, lenses and fancy movie tricks to make it look bigger. Uh, right. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember what I ordered. I don't remember if I thought it was good, but it was cool just to be there and kind of absorb the, the Sardi's atmosphere. Right. Same. I, I, I remember what my wife ordered, but I don't remember what I ordered. Right. So, <laughs> there you go. Uh, so Eric, have you ever been there? I have not. No. 
Well, um, <laughs> we will talk about this more next week. But if you are ever in the area, in, in, uh, in times, the Times Square area, you can go in and see the picture of uh, Kermit that they still have upstairs near the bathroom. Oh, heard, that's great. We heard from one of our friends that he just stopped by and was like, hey, can I look at the Kermit picture? And they just said, oh, yeah, sure, just go upstairs. So you don't have to eat there. Yeah. You can just go see Kermit, your old buddy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, it sounds With a mustache. From, from what I was reading, it sounds like uh, I don't want to eat there. It, uh, you know, like Ryan was mentioning, it doesn't seem like the place is really renowned for great cuisine. No, I don't think so. <laughs> People just eat there because it's Sardis, I think, at this point. But yeah, it's, co- it's coasting on its reputation. Yeah, yeah. Come at me, Sardis. Oh, yeah, you're going to get the Sardis beef. <laughs> Have you tried the Sardis beef? <laughs> um, hey, yeah, here's something hey, to write home about. My wife, Roz, did. There you go. Yes. All right. Uh, all right. So we see the Mater D handing out menus. Uh, this guy is Michael Connolly. Uh, Muppet Wiki tells us he's primarily a Broadway actor. His Broadway credits include the Tennessee Williams play Clothes for a Summer Hotel, a year in the National Touring Company of Annie, and the 1981 Broadway show Copperfield. Uh, this is his only credit on IMDb, though, which is kind of, kind of wild, but I guess if you're only going to be in one movie, this is not a bad one to be in. This is a good one. Um, I was going to say my. I also looked up his his stage credits. He was in the touring production of Noises Off. Oh, as Fred as Frederick, which is the Christopher Reeve character in the movie. Oh, that's fun. Um, which I, I I know you're a Noises Off fan like myself, Ryan. Yes. So, so I thought I'd make sure to mention it. I play- good, that's a good part too. Yes, yes, that is. Um, what's the name of the character that Michael Caine played in the movie? Um, Michael Caine, Lawrence or something? No, I'm thinking of Dirty and Scoundrels. I don't remember. Well, I played that role in the uh, Uvalde High School one-act play version of Noises Off, and I won honorable mention for my performance. So you played Lloyd. You played Lloyd Fellows. You got an Lloyd. honorable mention for playing Lloyd Fellows. Lloyd, yes, thank you. So, <laughs> a belated congratulations on that honor. Thank you. you. You know what? I played Ebenezer Scrooge in high school. Also a Michael Caine role. Oh, you're right. <laughs> so, yeah. So we're, so we're not so different. You and I. Yeah, wow. That was I assume that wasn't in a competition though. That was like just No, that regular. was just a like and it was actually just like a Christmas review kind of and the like centerpiece was like this dumb jokey twenty minute Christmas carol, you know. Oh, okay. But Whatever. that's that's cool to have so, the, the Scrooge role. Yeah, it was fun. It was it was really good. And actually my brother played Bob Cratchit, so that was fun. Oh nice. <laughs> yeah. Do we know if Michael Caine has ever played uh, the Blue Caterpillar or uh, Mr. Bennett in Pride and Prejudice? Can we hit for the cycle here? <laughs> did, you, did you play Mr. Bennett in Pride and yeah. Prejudice? That's oh, great, yeah. That's a great role. Though. It was like, a fantastic role. Yeah, that's awesome. That's that's like, I remember when my, before my daughter was born, that was one of the people that I like really wanted to emulate as, like I hope to emulate as a father, you know? Oh, wow. he's, 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 a, he's a pretty good dad. He's so understanding, you know? Ah, what a great guy! Not I got very to... familiar with Pride and Prejudice. Oh, you should check it out. It's good. I'm sure. I'm sure Eric was great. But, oh yeah. Uh, you should watch. Like, even if you don't read the book, watch the '90s miniseries. Oh, okay. With Colin Firth and Jennifer Ely, it's it's real good. And it is good? on every streaming service. Yes. Oh, all right. <clears throat> Who's the Blue Caterpillar? Is that Alice in Wonderland? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, I actually played the Mock Turtle in a different uh, high school production, so. There we go. 
<laughs> Anthony, were you in a production of Alice in Wonderland? I was. I was not in a production of Alice in Wonderland. Right. No, well, we're just we we we're getting two. We can't get yeah. three. <laughs> Listeners, <laughs> if any of you were in a production of Alice in Wonderland, write in and let us know who you played. <laughs> uh, this uh, the Mater D looks up, and who does he see? It's a very fancy looking frog coming in, wearing a large coat. He's also wearing a large hat, and he has this uh, thin mustache that points up at the ends. It's Kermit in another clever disguise. Uh, Kermit in a in a voice that sounds exactly like a rich, fancy New York businessman says, Kermit the Frog, my reservation secretary made a reservation for me. And I, first of all, I love the joke that this character employs a secretary just for making reservations. <laughs> my reservation secretary. And also just the pause that he takes. My reservation secretary made a <laughs> reservation for me. Just brilliant. Oh, you mean she didn't uh, put in any like demolition orders or uh, she didn't <laughs> she didn't fire anybody. She she put in a reservation as <laughs> is her right. job title. Right. Those are all separate secretaries, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I just love this, and also the voice sounds a little bit like uh, Link Hogthrob, very much like Link oh, it does. Hogthrob. It does. You know, it's funny. I was going to say it sounds a little bit like Kermit does later in this movie as as Philip Phil, too. Oh yeah, you know, like it, it's not quite the same, but it's it's in the ballpark, right? Yeah. Well, I don't feel Italian. <laughs> right, right, exactly. And I, this is just occurring to me, but was it one of the uh, those Muppet Show intros where Brian Henson said that that was the voice that uh, that Jim used to use when he was doing like uh, like like traditional he's, he's, manly duties or fatherly yeah, duties, like carving he, the turkey. When, when he carved the turkey, he would do Link Hogthrop, is what he says specifically. Yeah, like that's where that voice came from. Like, oh no, I will carve the turkey. Link Link's not really in this one very much. Unfortunately, does Link show up? Oh, I guess at the very end at the he's wedding, at, right? He's at the wedding, he has a line at the wedding, right? Doesn't he? Along does he with Sam and Sam and Crazy Harry and all those guys. Or am I not thinking uh, of the newsman? Yeah, I don't think he yeah, has a line. Yeah, because yeah. Link's sitting with the pigs. Sitting uh, with the pigs, you're right. Yeah, right. The pigs. So section. like, I'm I'm hearing Jim Henson on the soundtrack, and but it's but it's the newsman. <laughs> the newsman. You know, like like that's why I'm confused. Sure. Yeah. So uh, there's a sneeze from inside Kermit's coat, uh, but the waiter doesn't really react. He just says Gesundheit. So this, I guess the waiter has seen it all. He's unflappable. Uh, he's showing Kermit to his <laughs> table. Kermit walks over while addressing the other diners. Uh, Afternoon all. Don't get up. And nobody is paying attention to him at all. <laughs> but apparently this character just f- thinks that he's the most important person in, in New York. So. Well, I, th- I mean, I think that has he has to, right? Or else, or else the whispering campaign won't right. work. Right? Yeah, he's right? he's selling it. He's got to go big. Yeah, and he does. <laughs> uh, so then he starts to say, "Keep eating," but he gets cut off at the end of this clip, and that is where the clip ends. Uh, my only other note is that in that March seventh, nineteen eighty three draft, it says that Kermit is smoking a cigar, and I think it's probably just as well that he's not smoking a cigar. It's too much business. That's a hat on a hat. I think so. Yeah, he's already wearing a hat anyway. So, (laughs) but also, I kind of want. So this is eighty three when they shot this. Yeah, I I wonder if this was like around the time that they decided maybe we shouldn't have Kermit the Frog smoking on screen or something. You you know what I mean? Like, I feel like in the seventies it would not have been an issue, but like, has around like, have we seen Kermit smoke ever? No, I don't know about Kermit's. I just mean like there have been Muppets with cigarettes. 
yeah, yeah. you know like i feel like this is like like peak nancy reagan say no to drugs time right, right. like yeah like i feel like it's different than it would have been you know even just a few years earlier yeah we're several decades removed from harry the hipster but we're not that far removed from jp gross Right, yeah, J- yeah, J.P. Gross has a, has a cigar, for example, yeah. Which, and he's not, like, a, a role model type character, whereas Kermit, mm-hmm. at this point, is more of a, like, they, they, they're thinking that kids might be looking up to him. <laughs> right. Yeah. Though he is playing a snob. We yeah. shouldn't be looking up to him in this guy's. Right. That's true. <laughs> right. And he's, he's uh, like sort of committing fraud here. So I guess kids, don't smoke, <laughs> but go ahead and commit fraud. <laughs> That's the that's the message of this movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Eric, you mentioned uh, Sardis as a section of the movie that you wanted to talk about. Um, so you're not going to be with us next week. Do you have any other thoughts on what's about to happen that that we don't get to see in this specific clip? I mean, the the reason that I picked this clip is that that image of Kermit as the debonair theater producer, like that's the image of Muppets take Manhattan that's burned into my brain. (laughs) And also I think like a big contributor to why this movie confused me so much as a kid. Uh, It, it seemed so hard to track the, the, the arc of the film. I feel like when I was watching it very, very young because there are so many Kermits because there's, Mm. there's bopping around uh, Afro Kermit talking with John Landis. And then there's this theater producer Kermit with the mustache. And then there's Philip Phil. And it's just like, it, so I mean, for, yeah, for a very young kid, just starting to get a grasp on how movies tell stories. It's very <laughs> discombobulating. Right. Cause it's oh. like, it looks like Kermit, but why is he acting like this? Yeah, why does his voice sound different? Why why is he talking that way? But also, uh, it's just a it's just a funny image. Like Kermit Kermit with facial hair is it's it's wrong, but it's so funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I guess we we saw that in the Great Muppet Caper too when he uh, came to visit Piggy in prison and he had a mustache. <laughs> so this is a very different kind of mustache, though. So there. Mm-hmm. They're they're innovating new ways for Kermit to have facial hair. Yes, this is a very fancy mustache. This is the type of mustache that you would only see on someone who would tell people not to get up. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it works really well. Uh, all right. So, any other final thoughts about these minutes? I guess, uh, Eric, did you have anything else about this clip? Uh, I'm I, in terms of the Sardis of it all. I'm very intrigued about the like the notion of the restaurant that has caricatures on its wall, Hmm. like, you know, where, where that came from, how it started. I know that this is something that uh, was a characteristic of the Palm restaurants uh, and also the Brown Derby. Brown Derby. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, it's, it's a subject of fascination and I want to get to the bottom of it. And as I was researching, I absolutely could not because it's a very difficult uh, subject to Google. Well, did you figure out which of those three restaurants did it first, at least? It seems like the Palm might have done it first. But also in the the Wikipedia entry for Sardi's, it says that uh, the original Sardi got his idea for it from like a Parisian restaurant. Oh, okay. I missed that. Yeah. So that might go further back. Yeah. 
I don't, I don't know. This is, this may be a dead end. This may not be as interesting to me as it is, or it may not be as interesting to the listener as it is to me, but. Well, it's interesting to me, so. Yeah, me too. (laughs) It does, it just seems, it, it's this little shorthand for a fancy dining experience that these, these people that you would recognize have eaten here at one point in time. Right. They signed their names to these pictures of them. I mean, you see it even though in like a regular restaurant, if a celebrity happened to drop by, they'll have like a framed copy of that photo on the wall. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I guess it's, it's something about if this famous, uh, yeah, I don't, I, it's hard to describe, I guess just the idea that this famous person that you know ate here, therefore it's good enough for you. There's a, there's a ice cream shop in St. Paul called grand old creamery. And when President Obama visited the Twin Cities, while president, he went to the Grand Old Creamery. And you better believe that there is a big old, like, it's not just like a photo. It's like a dang mural of like, here's a bunch of pictures of Obama. Wow. And he, he was at the Grand Old Creamery, you know? And there there are, oh, sorry. Well, just like, like, there are a lot of creameries in the Twin Cities, but this is the only one President Obama visited, right? Like... <laughs> That's the selling point, you know? And there are creative variations on the convention uh, at other restaurants. There's Tony Paco's in uh, Toledo, Ohio, where there are framed hot dog buns that the celebrity diners have signed. uh, It's, it's weird. The pictures of it are very strange. It's kind of hard to tell that it's a hot dog bun in the frame, the way they are framed, but they they have a hot dog bun. It's under plastic. It's it's like this. It's hmm. it's like a a blister pack on an action figure uh, <laughs> packaging. Mint and packaged hot dog. But there's a hot dog bun signed by Mr. T under there. Wow. Yeah, that's fascinating. Um. All right, Anthony. Or was that it, Eric? Or did you? Uh. Yes. Yes. I think so. I I I needn't bore the listener anymore. With no. This I, topic. It's, it's. I. I love that. It's great. Uh, Anthony. Um, any any final thoughts? No, I I got them all out. All right. Uh, in that case, uh, Eric, we like to ask our guests, what is your history with this movie? You talked about this a little bit, but um, do you remember the first time you saw it? How do you rank it alongside the other Muppet movies and so on? I know that my family had the CBS Fox VHS edition of it, uh, along with the Muppet movie and Great Muppet Caper. Hmm. So I must have seen it very, you know, very, very young, three or four. Uh, And, you know, like I was saying, it was always the one that seemed a little bit the most confusing, even though I think the conceits of the Muppet movie and Great Muppet Caper are much, much more high concept and much more meta. This this one's a very straightforward narrative, but because of... Because I think it is kind of a weird jumbled story that, uh, you know, keeps keeps the most of the troop separate from one another for most of the movie. Right. And puts Kermit through all of these weird paces. Uh, it was never the one I think that I, I reached for first. But I think it is the Muppet movie that I've owned in the most forms because <laughs> I had that one. I had the storybook that Anthony was talking about, uh, which is where I think the first time I ever saw a I Heart New York t-shirt is Animal's t-shirt on the cover of that book. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, we didn't really talk about the I Heart New York thing. But I, I, I associated that 
that logo with Animal and Muppets Take Manhattan for a long, long time. Sure. Uh, because of that book. And then I had, uh, <laughs> I really enjoyed the discussion of the, the cereal box uh, DVDs on Patrick's episode. <laughs> yes. Uh, because I had, like, there must have been at some point in time, Sony was just like, could obviously could not give away DVDs of <laughs> uh, Muppets Take Manhattan because I got a very chintzy issue. It, it, it may be the 2001 edition that uh, the discussion is based on uh, for the podcast, but I got like, just as a stray birthday gift one year, my friend threw it into a bag. And then oh. I now, now I also have the, the Blu-ray edition and the Blu-ray looks great. This, uh, you know, we were talking about the, the photography earlier. The Blu-ray, is, the picture is so dang crisp. It, yeah. it looks so good. All right. Uh, yeah, I actually, that's the one that I don't have the Blu-ray of. So maybe I should go. I'm sure it's super cheap now. Yeah, I, I recommend it. I got it. I got it in a, a Blu-ray DVD uh, combo pack a few years ago. Oh, okay. Sure. Yeah, the I should only, look for that. The only ones that I have on Blu-ray are the two newest ones. The ah. James Bobin movies. And then in terms of where it ranks, I I may put it dead last. I, I don't know, guys. Of, like, I was of the, thinking, the entire franchise? Of the below, entire like, franchise. Below Muppets ah. from Space? Yeah, I might put it below Muppets from Space. It's that is been a long, It's bad. been a long time since I've seen Muppets from Space, but like I do have... I do have a lot of affection for that movie. So, so, I, so do I, actually. Like that's something Ryan and I talk about a lot. But I'm an ardent defender. I don't know how much. Like if if I went back and watched it now, if like the Dawson's Creek cameo oh, would uh, hold up so well, it may it may be more dated than this one. I, but... I mean, Piggy's hair though. I mean, I it's funny. <laughs> Piggy's hair in both movies is very of the time. You know. Um, I mean, she's. She's a she's a woman who knows what's en vogue and what's not en vogue. Uh, so she, you know, she will reflect the times. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, if I if I had to rank them out, like I think the last th- the last two or three slots would be a real weird battle royale, sure. and I don't know who would come out on the bottom. <laughs> All right. Wow. That, yeah. That is a that is a very hot take. Yeah. It is. I, I love it. I love I, it. I, me too. It's still. It's still a Muppet movie. I still love it. Right, uh, right, right. Yeah, that's that's the thing. Is like I I don't know about you. I've I've definitely seen. I mean, maybe not the two newest ones, but like all of the first six. I've definitely seen them all at least twenty times. Oh yeah, like you know. Yeah, and that's that's what it is to be a fan. It's like, oh man, Muppets Wizard of Oz is terrible. It's been too long since I saw it. I should watch it again. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. Yeah, I, I I I don't know if I could do that. Yeah, I've only I've only seen it once. I've only seen it when uh, it aired on TV, and I don't own it because I know I've told you this, Ryan. Yes. But we I left my DVD at my parents' house, and when we went over there, my mom had a bunch of my old stuff up in the attic. My wife saw the DVD of Muppets Wizard of Oz, kicked it down the stairs, and said, "You're not bringing that into my house." <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I've, I have never rewatched it. So we we might not be doing a bonus episode on that one. I don't know. Actually, I kind of want to. I just because again, it's been it's been you know sixteen years. Yeah, whatever. yeah, it might be time. That's this is what I'm once, saying. Once every sixteen years, and even by then, you know, 
I don't know. I mean, it'll probably be 16 years from now when you guys get to it. So yeah, it'll be say, a while. we got to do all the 90s movies. Yeah, first. it'll be a few more like, years. That's true. Yeah. Boy. Uh, all right. Um, <laughs> yeah, and oh, I was going to say too. I I, I like the idea that you included uh, the storybook when you were counting the different forms that you've owned the Muppets Take Manhattan because if you do that like it might be the the case well i mean i haven't i don't have the blu-ray but i i have the comic book adaptation i had a read-along uh book and record set as a kid so if i mean it starts to add up if you add all those kinds of like uh tie-ins yeah yeah and i mean this was probably like peak muppet merchandise right so yeah 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 it must have been yeah that's an interesting way to look at it like how many different ways have you owned the story of it right because because like like you were just like eric and i both had the storybook you had the book and record set yeah those are two different storybooks they are they're different yeah like we, should, we should make that clear for the for the listener like w- when this movie was new two completely different children's book adaptations came out and a comic book and a comic <laughs> yeah so really three yeah so like mother christmas carol came out as a storybook last year right like right. 2019 or something yeah so, although i did have a a Muppet Treasure Island storybook that came out in 96 that was just photos, but... Oh, I have that too. It's called story. Muppet Treasure Island, Sailing for Adventure. That sounds right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, anyway, uh, if that is all we have, then we will wrap things up for this week. Listeners, please make sure you check out toughpigs.com on the internet, Facebook, Twitter, and all those things. Thanks to Morgan Davey for our logo and Stacey Rosen for our theme music. Please, uh, if you have any thoughts on these minutes, any future minutes, anything else about the movie, send us an email at movingrightalong at toughpigs.com. You can find me on Twitter at me, Ryan Rowe. And Eric, please uh, tell our listeners where they can find you and your work on the internet. Well, you can find my work at uh, avclub.com. And you can find me on Twitter at Eric M. Adams. Very good. And I think this was before we were recording, but we were just mentioning a recent uh, piece that you wrote about The Muppet Show, which will be on Disney Plus by the time this drops. So uh, we'll link to that in the show notes. Yes, please do. Yeah. Please tell me where I am right and where I am wrong. <laughs> yes. Oh, don't worry. Muppet fans will, will <laughs> not hesitate to tell you those things. <sighs> Yes, so everybody please read that and join us again next week for another episode of Moving Right Along. Goodbye. Oh, thank you very much indeed. (laughs) Yes, it was a good show. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha.